Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into medieval British traditions. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. And be warned, today's episode contains discussions of murder and graphic violence. Please exercise caution for listeners under 13. The storm appeared over Londinium almost without warning, coalescing from a dozen smaller squalls. Down below, the New Year's tournament was in disarray. Spectators hurried for the exits, desperate to make it home. One towering figure in plate armor stalked in the opposite direction, parting the crowd with ease. The crest adorning his polished breastplate displayed a two-headed eagle. His name was Lot, king of Lothian and Orkney, and his mood was blacker than the clouds above. As King Lot reached his tent, he grabbed the soldier posted at the entrance and dragged him inside. I need to send a message to my wife, quickly. The soldier scrambled for parchment and ink, then wrote in an untidy scrawl as the king dictated, My beloved, By now I am sure you have heard the rumors. I write to tell you that they are true. Someone has drawn the sword from the stone. Not just someone, a boy of low station. The other lords found him before I did. They surely would have killed him and taken the sword if the archbishop hadn't arrived. He made the boy bring us all back to the churchyard. We watched as he put the sword back in the anvil and drew it out, maybe a dozen times. I still couldn't budge the thing. Maybe it's true what the Archbishop says. Maybe he is the true-born king. Regardless, the Archbishop intends to crown the boy soon. His coronation is set for Kali in this Candlemas. But the road is long and fraught with dangers. Many obstacles stand between the boy and his crown. He alone stands in our way. My beloved, I swear this on my honor. Arthur will not reach Carlion. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today we continue the story of King Arthur, the British hero famous for founding the legendary kingdom of Camelot. His knights of the round table were revered through antiquity as paragons of virtue, heroism, and justice. But before he could lead a country, Arthur had to win his crown, a task that would be far more difficult than simply pulling a sword from a stone. Coming up, Arthur's challengers make the first move. 
Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Arthur lay in the darkness, trying to ignore Kay's snoring. Sleep was impossible. Too much had happened in the last few hours. Only yesterday he'd been a lowly squire, and today he was the king-in-waiting, the son of the legendary Uther Pendragon. That was what everyone kept saying. Kay, Merlin, the archbishop, even Sir Ector, the man Arthur had known as his father for 15 years, said it was true. It still felt like a bad joke. After the tournament, the archbishop had invited Arthur and his family to his estate. They'd spent the evening eating and talking about the future. Then Merlin and Ector had left to visit other knights and barons. It was critical, they said, to shore up alliances now before anyone challenged Arthur's claim. Arthur shifted on the giant feather bed, rolling over to look at the sword on his dresser. The golden pommel glinted in a beam of moonlight, almost like it was winking at him. The light suddenly disappeared as something moved past the window. Arthur glanced toward it, Through a gap in the curtains, he could see a shadowy figure looming outside. Kay, are you awake? I think someone's at the window. They're trying to pick the lock. Shh, I know. Can you get to your sword? Yes. Good. Wait for my signal. The faint sound of clicking metal continued from the window. Quiet as he could manage, Arthur reached for his sword. He froze, one finger on the pommel. The sounds had stopped. He wondered if the intruder had given up. The window slid open. The curtains parted and the shadow stepped through the window. Arthur's heart pounded in his chest as his fingers closed on his sword hilt. Now! 
Arthur erupted out of bed, almost tripping on the sheets. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Kay launch himself toward the intruder. With a pang of terror, he realized that his foster brother was unarmed. Arthur lunged, desperate to reach the shadow first. His sword struck steel. Then he felt the blade twist out of his hand. Something struck Arthur in the chest, sending him tumbling into Kay. They crashed to the floor. Get off me! Quiet, you lummoxes! Moonlight flooded the room as the curtains were drawn back. Kay and Arthur scrambled to their feet, fists raised. The intruder stepped out of the shadows. It was a young woman with raven black hair, only a few years older than Arthur. She wore a simple gray cloak and held only the short dagger she'd used to disarm Arthur. Who are you? Merlin sent me. You're both in danger. King Lot's assassins are already in the building, probably in the hallway after that ruckus. You're lying! Lot wouldn't dare move against us under the Archbishop's roof. Where is Merlin? Why didn't he tell us this himself? He was unavoidably detained. That's not an answer. I don't know. I just received his message to get you both out of Londinium tonight. We're to take the West Road to Carlion. Sir Ector is directing any knights loyal to your cause to meet us there. Why should we believe you? For all we know, you're the assassin. God's knobbly knees, we don't have time for this. See for yourself if you don't believe me. The woman in gray sheathed her dagger and crossed to the door. She opened it a crack, encouraging Arthur to peer out into the dark stairwell. Somewhere down below, a floorboard creaked. Arthur's eyes grew wide. Perhaps it was just his imagination, but he thought he could see the silhouettes of two hulking figures tiptoeing up the stairs. Maybe we should get out of here. Right. Just one problem. This is a tower, and we're on the seventh floor. How do you think I got in? Moments later, Kay and Arthur clung to a rope dangling from the tower window. Arthur followed the young woman's instructions exactly, walking backward down the brick wall while lowering himself one hand at a time. The rope felt secure enough, but he dared not look down until his feet were firmly on solid ground. Kay landed a moment later, cursing his now raw hands. The woman in gray came last, sliding down the length of the rope in a single, graceful movement. She gestured for silence and beckoned for Kay and Arthur to follow her. If Arthur had any doubts that their new friend was lying, they were quickly dispelled. More than a dozen soldiers waited at the main gate, halberds glinting wickedly in the moonlight. The woman in gray led them away from the sentries, then down a winding, circuitous path through back alleys and narrow closes. As they passed a tavern, Arthur was surprised to see that the lights were still on. Through the filthy window, he could see a sizable crowd of well-lubricated revelers drinking and dancing inside. He heard a chorus of spirited shouts from the crowd and slowed to a halt, blinking in surprise. Hey, kid, we've got to keep moving. I thought I heard someone shout my name. You did? Hear that? They're singing the old drinking ballad, Hail to the Bear King. 
only they've changed the lyrics. Not Aurelianus the bear. Arthur the bear. They're singing about your heroic deeds. What? But I haven't done anything. I wouldn't say that. What are you talking about? You don't even know us. Maybe it's different for you country nights, but around here, people haven't much to look forward to. For the first time in ages, they're imagining a Britain that isn't consumed in endless war. A future where they don't wake up to their fields burning, their children dead or conscripted, sent off to fight for a lord they don't know or love. Like it or not, you did something when you pulled out that sword. You gave them a reason to hope. But what if it's a false hope? I don't know anything about being king. I've never studied politics or military strategy or law or... Well, Merlin always says knowing what you don't know is half the battle. So maybe you're not as far behind as you think. You never did tell us how you know that old fossil or who you are. He hires me to do odd jobs every now and then, which reminds me, I'm supposed to give you this. She handed Arthur a note, which he immediately unfolded. A sword does make a man a king, but a man makes himself a king in how he chooses to wield it. Well, that's not helpful. Before the woman in gray could respond, they heard shouts from further up the road. Arthur turned to see a group of soldiers running toward them. The woman seized Arthur's arm, dragging him away from the soldiers. They ducked into an alley, sprinting through narrower and narrower passages. Slowly, the sounds of their pursuers grew faint. Arthur hoped they had escaped once again, until he turned a corner and came face to face with a brick wall. There's no way around. They've got us cornered. Maybe we can climb it? Do you see anything to climb on? There's nothing for it. We're going to have to fight. Don't be stupid, you'd never win. And what's your idea? Aside from leading us straight into a trap. She got us out of the tower, Kay. I think we can trust her. Like hell we can. She could have been planning this from the start. If you're really desperate to put those muscles to use, I could use some help with this grate. The woman in gray was crouched next to the wall, struggling to lift a large, rusty sewer grate. Arthur and Kay hurried to help her. Working together, the three of them lifted the grate free, revealing a cavernous tunnel leading straight down into the earth. Arthur stared down, trying not to gag at the noxious smell. The woman in gray lowered herself to the edge. Kay shook his head in disbelief. You want us to go down there? You can't be serious. Hold your nose, boys. It's a long way to the city limits. Oh, and in case you're still wondering, my name is Morgana. She let go of the edge, dropping down into the darkness. There was a long moment of deafening silence and then a distant splash. Arthur and Kay shared a look. The soldiers would be on top of them in a moment. I don't think we have a choice. Go on then, royalty first. Arthur closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and jumped. Coming up, our adventurers navigate an underworld beneath Londinium's streets. I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. 
In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Who forced a famed explorer to lose his way? What did a missing Hollywood starlet leave behind? And how could the heiress to a Chicago candy fortune just vanish? Every Thursday on Disappearances, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, back to the story. The sewer tunnels of Londinium stretched on and on beneath the great city, a testament to the architectural prowess of the Romans that built it. Arthur, Kay, and Morgana waded through the knee-deep waste, feeling along the walls to guide themselves. God's hooks, it's dark in here. Can't we light a torch? Sure, if you'd like to kill us all. What? That wonderful smell you're experiencing is natural gas from decomposing excrement and ammonium from urine. Both are highly flammable, so if you'd like to burn us all to a crisp, be my guest. Light a torch. Um, I think we're okay walking in the dark, thanks. Sure, why not? Makes it easier to forget I'm wading through Londinium's toilet. As they rounded a bend in the tunnel, Kay gestured for Arthur to slow down. They waited, allowing Morgana to forge ahead. Arthur, listen, I don't trust Morgana. She did save our lives, Kay. And if Merlin sent her... I know, but look, I've heard of her. People say she's dangerous, that she's an expert in black magic, witchcraft, and necromancy. They call her... They call her Morgana Le Fay. Morgana Le Fay? As in fairy? If I was a fairy, don't you think I'd be able to hear you two whispering? Arthur and Kay rounded the bend sheepishly. Before them, Morgana stood half inside the pillar of moonlight, giving her expression a ghostly look. She raised her arms and wiggled her fingers at Kay. Eye of toad and spleen of bat, turn the king's brother into a stupid prat. Oh, look at that! 
God, it worked! Very funny. I'm not a fairy or a necromancer. Sure, Merlin has taught me a few things here and there, but it's mainly just medicine. Conjuring sparks, parlor tricks, that sort of thing. Nothing really sinister. And what about your husband? Husband? That's the worst part, Arthur. She's married to King Ryan of Gore. As in King Lot's brother, she's working with the other side. Morgana, is that true? It's true that I was once King Urian's teenage bride, but the marriage did not end amicably. The church was all too happy to grant an annulment after I tried to kill Urian with his own sword. Oh, I'm sorry. Eh, I'm sorry I failed to kill him, and that your brother's a lout who should mind his own business. But while we're spilling secrets, perhaps Sir Kay would care to share about his own little rebellion? Shut your mouth, witch. How would you even know about that? Just something I heard from Merlin. <laughs> Not great at keeping secrets, that guy. Which means Arthur's going to find out eventually. Don't you think he should hear it from you rather than someone else? Kay, what is she talking about? Arthur, I was going to tell you. When I first went to Father, after you drew the sword, I told him... I told him it was me. That I was the one who pulled it out of the anvil. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Father didn't believe me, of course. First thing he asked was where you were, and if you were safe. It's alright. No, it isn't alright. You're my brother and my king, and I betrayed you. Kay, I really don't care. Honestly, I wish you had been the one to pull the sword out of the stone. You'd make a better king than me. Maybe we should tell everyone it was you. What? You can't just hand this off. Didn't you hear those people back at the tavern? They would kill and die for you. Do you understand why? Because I'm the son of Uther Pendragon? No! Well, yes, sort of, but not because there's something magic about your bloodline. You'll probably be an awful king. But you've got a legitimate claim, the only claim, which means that you might actually be able to get the other lords to listen. Without you, we're back to a hundred different warlords all vying for power. They'll keep fighting until there's nothing left of this country. You can change things, but it's got to be you. So quit complaining and just do your job. She's right, Arthur. Not that you'll be an awful king, I mean. That you're meant to do this. You've got all the proof you need right there in your hands. Arthur looked down at the sword, suddenly feeling more overwhelmed than ever. Of course, he knew they were right, but what they were asking him to do felt impossible. I... Soldiers! Morgana shoved Arthur back against the wall as arrows whistled through the tunnel. Soldiers charged out of the darkness surrounding the group. The sound of clashing steel echoed off the tunnel walls, filling the sewers with disorienting noise. Arthur swung his sword in wide arcs to keep the attackers at a distance. He tried desperately to remember the lessons he'd learned from Kay and the other swordmasters. Sir Ector had once said that Arthur would make a decent warrior if he could ever get his footwork right. But this wasn't training, and Arthur's feet were sunk into thick sewer water. He pressed forward recklessly, swinging again and again. 
One of the attackers raised his sword to block one of Arthur's wild swings. The soldier's sword snapped, and Arthur's blade plunged straight down into his shoulder, severing his collarbone and cutting deep into his chest. The man fell back with a gasp and sank into the sludge. Arthur stared down at his blood-stained sword, then looked around, shaken. Nearby, Kay and Morgana still fought for their lives. The tunnel was thick with men. Arthur knew in his heart that they would never fight their way through to the surface. They would die surrounded in darkness and filth. An idea bloomed in Arthur's mind. He darted to Morgana's side. Morgana, we need a parlor trick. Morgana gave Arthur a confused look. Then understanding bloomed across her face. Get down! Morgana raised her arms, turning to face the oncoming soldiers. Arthur tackled Kay, pulling him beneath the water. In the instant before he submerged, Arthur saw Morgana snap her fingers. A flash of hot light bloomed from her palm. The explosion shook the walls of the sewer. Bricks and dirt cascaded from the ceiling. Arthur gasped from the sudden blast of heat, exhaling a flurry of bubbles. But the heat was not unbearable. While the surface of the sewer water had erupted in flames, everything beneath was protected. Arthur felt Kay struggle against his grip, but did not let go. The muffled screams of soldiers echoed overhead. Finally, when his lungs could take it no longer, he pushed upwards. <laughs> Arthur and Kay erupted from the water, filthy and gasping, but alive. All around them, the sewer was strewn with the charred bodies of soldiers. The flames had already burned through most of the trapped gas, but small fires still dotted the sewers, filling the tunnel with an otherworldly red glow. Morgana stood at the center, wreathed in smoke, but miraculously unsinged. That was a good idea, Arthur. And you said you'd never studied strategy. You two are both maniacs. Oh, don't be such a sourpuss. Is everyone okay? You're not hurt, are you? No, I'm all right. We should get moving. People are waiting for me. It was dawn when the trio finally emerged from the sewers, crawling through another grate onto the bank of the Thames. They found three horses tied to a tree, waiting for them. Each mount carried a satchel with provisions for a week's journey. Without any more delay, they put Londinium behind them and set out for Carleon. <coughs> Meanwhile, across the city, King Lot received a message with his breakfast. He listened to his captain, fuming quietly until the man was finished. So, the boy king has escaped Londinium. Very well. Send word to my brother Urion, and King Nontra, and Carados, and Idra, and Agizan. 
instruct them to marshal their forces. Every vassal, every knight, every man at arms. Tell them we march for Carleon, and bring me my sword. I have a coronation to attend. Coming up, Arthur fights for his throne. Now back to the story. The road to Carleon was a long, arduous crawl. Arthur, Kay, and Morgana spent the first day riding in silence, scanning the tree line for any sign of King Lot's soldiers. When they finally stopped for the night, Kay refused to let them make a fire for fear that it might draw attention. It snowed the second day, weakening Kay's resolve considerably. After weighing their options, the group decided that freezing to death would be no better than getting caught and that they might as well stop at a roadside inn for the night. A bowl of stew, a fresh loaf, and a few mugs of hearty ale were all it took to turn their moods around. Before the night was over, Kay and Morgana had the entire tavern singing, Hail to the Bear King. On the third day, they passed Stonehenge. Kay pointed out the stone circle, commenting that Arthur's true father, Uther Pendragon, was said to be buried beneath it. Morgana asked if Arthur would like to stop to pay his respects, but a storm was brewing in the distance, and Arthur preferred to not waste any more time. That night, as they sat around the campfire, Arthur spotted a trail of lights flickering in the distance. He waved at his companions to get their attention. Kay, Morgana, look! Do you see them? There's strange lights among the trees. Looks like torches. A single-file column, maybe? Do you think it could be more of Lot's soldiers searching for us? They're not soldiers. They are the Sisters of Avalon. Arthur and Kay turned to find Morgana watching the lights with a wistful expression. You mean... fairies? They are making a pilgrimage to their sacred isle, the world beyond the veil. Perhaps if we were to follow them, we would see it and meet their queen. Lady Nimue? But I didn't think... she's not real, is she? That depends. What have you heard? Different things that she is either the Empress of Feyfolk or a goddess, that she is the most fair and beautiful creature in the world, so beautiful that men spend their lives questing for her. Beautiful on the surface, maybe. Nimue is a demon, a creature of the Shadow Realms, gifted with the shape of a woman so that she can better entrap her prey. She draws men into her web and keeps them for a hundred years. Then, when she is finally done with them, she devours their hearts and sets them free. If her victims ever make it back to civilization, you will recognize them by their eyes. Empty pools with nothing inside. No fear, no desire, no will to live. Arthur looked from Kay to Morgana, both staring at him across the fire. Morgana was the first to crack a smile. You're having a go at me, aren't you? You should have seen your face, though. (laughs) Creature of the Shadow Realms, you should have been a poet. (laughs) All right, laugh it up now. When I'm king, there'll be laws against this. 
Five years imprisonment for mockery. <laughs> Ten for pranks. <laughs> Twenty for scary fairy stories. <laughs> They reached Carlion late the following afternoon. It was market day, and the streets bustled with festive energy. Carlion was not quite as large as Londinium and lacked a defensive wall and moat. The only military building was an old garrison and tower at the center. As Arthur, Kay, and Morgana made their way toward the keep, a crowd started to form around them. Soon, they were being followed by a sizable mob. Arthur turned scarlet as the townsfolk cheered his name and shouted down blessings from the windows. One mother stopped them in the street, insisting that Arthur kiss the foreheads of her seven children. This was awkward since her eldest daughter was older and taller than he was. Just as he was beginning to feel truly overwhelmed, Arthur spotted a young boy watching him from a roof. It reminded him of an Easter many years ago when he had climbed a similar roof to get a look at a passing troop of knights. He waved and was delighted to see the boy throw his arms up in surprise. Sir Ector was waiting at the steps to the keep. He beamed with pride as Arthur and Kay approached, wrapping them both in a hug. Behind him was a familiar figure in a blue robe. Merlin! <laughs> As expected, the guest of honor is last to arrive. This way, your supporters are waiting. Merlin led them into the garrison and down a winding corridor to the Great Hall. As they stepped through the doors, Arthur's jaw fell open. The hall was full to bursting with more knights than Arthur had ever seen in one place. He turned to Kay and found that he looked just as stunned as Arthur felt. I can't believe all these knights are here for me. This can't be all of them. There has to be more. What do you mean? This isn't enough men. It's not nearly enough. On that note, uh, the two of you should come with me. Merlin led Kay and Arthur up the stairs to the highest room of the tower. He brought them to the open window and pointed out across the field. Arthur looked and felt his stomach drop. A massive wave of darkness was surging towards them across the plains. Is that? It's an army. Six armies, to be precise. The forces of King Lot, King Urien, King Nantra, King Carados, King Idra, and King Agizan. Together, they are some 3,000 strong. The greatest force this country has seen since the days of your father. Arthur, you have less than 500 knights downstairs. You're outnumbered six to one. What do we do? The only thing we can do, we run. What? It was a nice dream, you becoming king. I think you would have made a good one eventually. It just wasn't meant to be. Sword or no sword, the other lords just don't care. They're stronger than you, and that's all that matters. Don't let them kill you for nothing. Run. Merlin, is there any other option? Certainly. There are always other options if you look hard enough. You can stay in this tower, for one thing. We've gathered enough provisions to last you and your men quite some time. 
If Lot wants a siege, we'll make it a long one. But that leaves the city undefended. What will happen to the common folk? We can bring some into the keep, but not all. Lot may raise the city in order to break your resolve. He has done it before. I can't let him do that. Those armies came here because of me. It'll be my fault if people get hurt. Run, stay, fight, flee? Big decision for a little king. Arthur, Kay, and Merlin turned to see Morgana leaning against the doorway. She snapped her fingers, conjuring red sparks and a plume of smoke. Kay frowned at the strange trick, but Arthur's eyes grew wide. Parlor tricks. I've made up my mind. Morgana, tell the knights downstairs to get ready. I'm not going to run, and I'm not going to hide in this tower while the commons get butchered. I shall inform them of your desire, your highness. Maniacs, all of you. Arthur, I hope you know you're giving Lot exactly what he wants. But if you're determined to ride to your death, well, I'll be right there with you. No, you won't. I've got another job for you. The most important job of all. Master Arthur, it sounds to me like you've got something of a plan in mind. Something like that, Merlin. I need you to buy us time. Go to King Lot and tell him I'm coming to see him. You're going to tell King Lot that you're going to fight? Shouldn't we try to catch them off guard? I'm not going to fight. Not until I absolutely have to. I'm going to follow the first lesson you ever taught me, Merlin. Something I don't think Lot expects. I'm going to talk to him. The armies of the six kings stood at attention, like a dark storm cloud hovering over the plains of Carleon. Arthur's 500 knights marched slowly toward them, while Arthur rode out ahead of the line alone. He felt ridiculous, thundering along on a massive white destrier dressed from head to toe in glittering plate armor. He carried a long spear and a shield emblazoned with the image of a bear. Up ahead, he could see Merlin standing in the empty space between the armies. The wizard waved his arms theatrically as he shouted to Lot's men, It is true what you have heard. The born king has arrived, the son of Uther Pendragon. He comes to us now, ready to deliver this land from strife and war. He is everything we were promised. Noble, brave, and just, but ferocious as the bear, and clever as the wolf. Put down your arms and kneel before your king. Arthur slowed to a trot as he reached Merlin. At the same time, the enemy line parted. King Lot rode out on his black charger, coming to a stop in front of them. Staring up at the giant knight, Arthur was glad that his face was hidden beneath a helmet. He had never felt less sure of himself, but if his plan was going to work, he could not afford to show a hint of fear or uncertainty. So, this is the beardless boy I've heard so much about. You're even smaller up close. King Lot, many years ago you yielded to my father, Uther Pendragon. I urge you to yield again now or face charges of treason. No, I don't think I will, son of Pendragon. 
If you really are his pup, do you expect me to take your word for it? It was I, Merlin, who carried him from the arms of his mother, Lady Ygraine. His uncle is Aurelianus, and his grandfather is Constantine of Logue. In his blood is the strength of Rome and the beating heart of Britannia. He is- It's all right, Merlin. He doesn't need to know my whole family history. I understand your reticence, King Lot. You have had to wait many years, never knowing when I would arrive to claim my throne. It is for this reason that God sent me this sword so that you may know me as the one true king. Arthur raised his shield, exposing the sword on his hip, but did not draw it. He was pleased to see Lot stiffen at the sight of the weapon. Looks like any other sword to me. This sword is more than a weapon. It is a promise, a beacon of hope for all of Britain. It was born when I drew it from the stone and baptized in the blood of my enemies on the road to Carlion. As today is to be coronation day, so it shall be this sword's name day. Let it be known as Caliburn, the flame that burns across time. <laughs> Strong words, but can you back them up? I think not. Look behind you. You're outnumbered, outmatched, you abandoned your tower, which means you have less experience than anyone guessed. You cannot win. I can, Lot. As I live and breathe, I will see you kneel. <laughs> Empty threats from a petulant child! The argument wore on and on, with Lot hurling insults, Arthur asserting certain victory, and Merlin interjecting to praise Arthur's royal blood. Beads of sweat trickled down Arthur's brow, burning his eyes and clouding his vision. He glanced at the sky, trying to gauge how much the sun had moved. How much time would be enough? Enough of this! I will not parlay with a child! Go back to your tower, or stay here and die. I'll send your head back to the Archbishop in a box. Let him crown that! King Lot rode back to rejoin his army. Arthur turned to Merlin, thinking that they should do the same. Wait a moment, I'm not finished yet. I, I have to tell you about this boy's illustrious great aunt. Merlin, I think we've stalled as long as we can. We'd better fall back before they- Bowman! Fire! A volley of arrows flew in a high arc through the air, whistling into the earth between Arthur and Merlin. Arthur raised his shield to defend himself. He saw Merlin's eyes go wide with surprise. Then the old man vanished. Arthur could only stare, dumbstruck, as arrows flew through the spot where Merlin had stood seconds before. When the volley finally finished, Arthur lowered his shield and raised his spear. For Carleon! He spurred his horse forward, charging headfirst toward Lot's army. Behind him, his own cavalry raced to catch up. Arthur did not wait for them. The first line of soldiers folded beneath Arthur's horse. A few knights took desperate swings at him, while others scrambled to get out of the way. He kept going, driving deeper into enemy ranks, thrusting his spear with abandon. 
A moment later, Arthur's army finally arrived. The knights collided with the force of a hurricane. It was a maelstrom of chaos, and Arthur was at the center. He rode back and forth through Lot's ranks, trampling and skewering soldiers without mercy. No arrow, sword, or spear could touch him. He could see nothing but carnage, smell nothing but the metallic odor of blood. As the fighting wore on, his limbs grew heavy, but he kept riding, stabbing, killing. And yet, while Arthur still stood, his army was not faring as well. They had made a valiant effort, driving a wedge through the middle of Lot's forces, but the enemy's greater numbers were beginning to overwhelm them. As soon as the tide shifted, the line would break and the bloodbath would begin. Arthur pulled up sharp on his reins, bringing his destrier to a stop. A short distance away, King Lot sat on his black charger. The kings stared each other down across the field of bodies and fighting knights. In unison, they lowered their spears and charged. Yeah! Arthur sped toward Lot, aiming his spear for the twin eagle crest on the king's breastplate. For a brief moment, he imagined himself far from Carleon. He was not a king, but a simple knight jousting in front of a court of admirers. All he had to do was land this one blow and the prize would be his. He tightened his grip, preparing for impact. At the last moment, King Lot lowered his spear point towards Arthur's horse. The kings collided. Arthur heard his horse scream and felt it buckle beneath him. Then his world turned upside down. He hit the ground and went tumbling head over heels. His spear snapped. His helmet slipped off. He came to a rough stop. Slowly, Arthur pushed himself up on one arm. His horse lay several yards away, bleeding out onto the battlefield. Just beyond it, Lot was turning to make a second pass. He spotted Arthur on the ground and drew his sword. Arthur. Merlin? Where are you? I can't see you. Remember, a sword does make a man a king, but a man makes himself a king in how he chooses to wield it. King Lot charged. Arthur pushed himself to his feet, reached to his belt, and drew Caliburn. <laughs> As Arthur lifted the sword high, a flash of otherworldly light erupted from the blade. Lot's horse reared back in surprise, throwing the king from his saddle. All around him, soldiers shielded their eyes against the blinding glow. Arthur looked over his shoulder at the distant tower of Carleon. He wished he could see Morgana's expression now. He knew that at that moment, she was standing at the tower's highest window, angling a large mirror to reflect sunlight down on Arthur. There's your flame, kid. Now, go give him something to sing about. (laughs) 
back down on the battlefield, Arthur carved a path toward King Lot. Knights and soldiers scrambled to get away from his glowing sword. As he reached his enemy, King Lot stood. Only now, when they were both on the ground, did Arthur realize just how large the king really was. Lot glowered down at him, eyes burning with hatred through his visor. Wizards and magic swords cannot win you this battle, boy. You don't have the numbers. You're wrong, Lot. I do not need to match you in knights, for this is my country. I am the king of all Britain, and I will see you kneel. It started as a low hum that grew into an angry buzz, and finally, a roar. King Lot looked around in bewildered fury, searching for the source of the noise. Arthur let out a gasp of relief. Sir Kay sped toward them on his own horse, eager to join the battle. Following close behind him was an army that dwarfed all the others. Not an army of knights or soldiers, but of simple men and women carrying wood axes and pitchforks. The commons of Carleon had answered Arthur's call. The commoner army crashed into the battlefield, catching the enemy soldiers by surprise. Within moments, the main line had been broken, and whole sections of the enemy forces were in retreat. King Lot stared in horror at the bedlam unfolding all around him. He met Arthur's gaze, then turned and ran. Arthur started to chase after him, but only got a few steps before Merlin's voice echoed in his ears again. Let them go, Arthur. But Lot's getting away. I promised I would see him kneel. Save some promises for tomorrow. Do not sully this first victory with needless bloodshed. Arthur stared after Lot's retreating army. The battle had awakened something inside him, driving him to chase down and punish his enemies. But he resisted the instinct, and the moment passed. Then Kay was beside him, lifting Arthur onto his shoulders and breaking into a chorus of Hail to the Bear King. Knights and common folk alike crowded around, shouting his name. At their urging, he thrust Caliburn into the air. Cheers erupted all around him as the sword glittered brilliantly in the sunlight. The coronation had been delayed long enough. Mere hours later, Arthur stood before a congregation of thousands, hair still flecked with blood and dirt. He stared straight ahead, trying to ignore Kay and Morgana making faces at him from their seats. The archbishop placed a golden crown on Arthur's head while reciting blessings in Latin. But it was Merlin who got the last word. My dear friends, today marks an end for all of us. Not an end to war, I fear. There are many battles still to fight, many tyrants to overthrow. 
but it is an end to an age of hopelessness. The start of something new. Look around you. Within these halls, you will find lords and knights, clergy and common folk. We have many differences, but the land we share, the soil beneath our feet, makes us one. As we enter into this new age, let us not define ourselves by that which divides us, but by what unites us. The legend we write together is not merely a tale of kings and knights, of heroes and monsters. It is the story of Britain. For that reason, it is my great pleasure to present King Arthur. Long may he reign. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. This concludes the story of King Arthur's rise to power, but it's just the start of his legend. In the coming months, we'll return to this world to tell more stories about the many knights, sorcerers, monsters, and fairies that fill the Arthurian canon. We look forward to sharing the whole story with you. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Kai Jordan, Drew Lawn, Laura Faye Smith, and Laith Walshleger. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.